Now, I like stories. Okay, I like stories. I like stories that are well told. Um, and uh, Naaman is a story that is well told, isn't it? It's, it's uh, such a short story in many ways. Um, you look through God's word, uh, and Naaman only takes up a few verses. You know, it's not much more than a page, is it, in the Bible? But it is incredibly well told and so full uh, of so much information. Uh, we read in verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of the kings of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And it sort of sums the man up, doesn't it? In, in, in so many ways. We, you, you've heard the phrase, you know, this person is going places. Yeah, young up and goer, and, and he's going places, and he's going to be rich and famous soon. Well, Naaman had already got there. He's already passed that phase in his life. He has already got there. He's not going places. He's arrived. He is a great man with his master. His master liked him. His master trusted him. He trusted him implicitly because he leaned on him. He leaned on him literally when he went into the temple of his God. He would go in with Naaman, no other soldiers around him. You could tell how much he trusted this man. And he would lean on his arm as he bowed and as he worshipped his God. His master liked him also because uh, he brought great victories for Syria. And so um, other people liked him. His, his uh, soldiers who were under his command, they liked him because he was victorious. You know, even the little maid liked him, didn't she? Because she's willing to tell her mistress that he should go to be cured of his leprosy. So this is a man who's going places, who, who's liked by not just his master, but by everyone. Um, a great man of valor, but he had a problem. He was a leper. His days were numbered. Okay, he's a leper, his days were numbered. Reading the passage, you, you'd feel uh, as if Naaman would give everything that he had. He'd give it all away to be cured of his leprosy. Uh, and we read later on uh, of the amount of money that he took uh, to be cured, to try to buy his, his cure for himself. Now, I, I love the Old Testament narratives, so today I, I just want to work, out, work through the passage uh, and pick out a, a few little points about the passage to think about. And I've got, I got seven points, okay? So I've got seven points, and I've got half an hour. Well, just under half an hour now because I've already started. So seven points, okay? And we'll go through them quickly. The first thing I want you to see about Naaman is that he is an enemy of Israel and an enemy of God, okay? He's an enemy. Make no mistake about it. We, we read in verse 2, Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. The Syrian army had, had attacked Israel and taken people away captive. They'd undoubtedly killed lots of the older people uh, and taken the younger ones away as slaves to work in their houses. Uh, and one little girl ended up working for Naaman's wife. Uh, and you could be forgiven for thinking, good, serves Naaman right, doesn't it? He's gone into Israel, he's killed people. Uh, this little girl, she's not going to go back to Israel. Okay, not in these days. She's not going to go back. If she does go back, her parents are not going to be there. She's never going to see them again. And here she is, stuck as a slave in Naaman's house. And you could think, good, God is paying back Naaman for what he's done. Yeah, you, you could think that, couldn't you? You could think, God is after this man. He's going to pay him back for what he's done. We, we'd think that about Putin at the moment, wouldn't we? If Putin suddenly died, we'd say, good, 
God's paid him back for what he's done for being such an evil man. And we think that. But the, the thing is, um, justice is not being played out here in this passage at all. You, you might think it would be perfectly just for God to take hold of this man uh, and to, um, to kill him for what he has done. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But justice isn't being played out here. What you find being played out here is mercy. That's what's being played out in this passage. Mercy is being played out. Throughout the Old Testament, God chooses people from outside the family of Israel to, to bring them into the family and to save them. God is saying, in, even in the Old Testament, salvation is for everyone. It's not just for the people of Israel. It is for everyone. It is even for my enemies. Salvation is for everyone. You, you see this in the book of Jonah, don't you? Uh, painted very plain in the book of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah? Jonah, God tells Jonah to go and, and preach in Nineveh. Uh, and Jonah thinks, I'm not going to Nineveh. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. And he gets on a boat uh, and he tries to go across to the other side of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and God stops him. Uh, there's a storm and there's a great fish. Uh, and Jonah, in the belly of the fish, he repents. Uh, and then the fish turns around and spews him onto some dry land. And Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he preaches in Nineveh. And there's revival, and people are saved, much to Jonah's displeasure, I may add. People are saved, and Jonah doesn't like it. But God's enemies are saved. Now, later on, they're going to come, and they're going to, to kill many people in Israel. And Jonah knows this. He, he knows the prophecy, and he doesn't want these people saved. But God does. He saves his enemies. And this is what's happening with Naaman. God is going to come. He is going to pursue this man. Uh, and he's going to save him. He's going to draw him to himself. And God uses difficult circumstances to call this man to himself. If Naaman didn't have leprosy, then the little girl wouldn't be able to tell him that he needs to go and see the prophet who is in Israel, who is in Samaria. Uh, if Naaman hadn't gone to Israel and taken this little girl in the first place, she wouldn't be there. To tell him. So difficult circumstances for the little girl, difficult circumstances for Naaman as well. But these circumstances are going to be used to, by God to bring this man to himself. The Bible describes us as being enemies of God. Romans 5 verse 10, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled Shall we be saved by his life? The writer is saying that once we were enemies, but we were reconciled to himself through the cross of Christ. The same thing is going to happen to Naaman in this passage. He is going to be reconciled to God. Second thing I want you to see is that Naaman had a problem. He has leprosy. Now, this story is taking place around about 850 years B.C., 850 years BC, uh, there's, there's no remedy for leprosy. It's terminal. It is terminal. The Bible refers to um, a number of skin diseases uh, as, as leprosy. It uses the same word for a number of different skin diseases. Uh, they're contagious and they're dangerous. Uh, and the people that contracted leprosy were taken out of their homes, taken out of the, the cities that they lived in, uh, and they lived outside the camp. They lived outside the cities, sometimes in little 
colonies where other people had leprosy, sometimes out by themselves. Uh, I suppose if you were a king and you were very rich, you could closet yourself in a room within your palace and stay there, but you were still segregated from other people. Naaman is doomed, and he knows it. Now, Naaman knows he has a problem. It is obvious every time he takes a bath or every time he changes his clothes. Naaman's condition is obvious because all the people in his household know of his problem. They can see it on him. You may be like Naaman. You might know that you have a problem with sin, in which case you're like Naaman. Or you may be completely different from Naaman and don't realize you have a problem at all. Uh, you may think that you are fine. You may think there is absolutely nothing wrong with you at all, that you have not done anything at all that you need to be forgiven for or that you need to ask for forgiveness for. You may be like that. You may think that there is no one there to whom you need to ask for forgiveness in the first place. You might not believe in God. I don't know. I do not know you. What I do know is that the Bible says everyone has a problem with sin in their lives. It's not just picking on you. It says everyone, everyone in the entire world, me, all of us here, everyone outside, we all have a problem with sin. And the result of this sin is that we will die. One day we will die. And after we've died, we will meet God. And if we have not had our sin dealt with, if we've not had our sin forgiven, then God will send us to hell for all eternity because we have ignored the salvation that he has put in place through the death of his son on the cross. It may be that, that you do not feel that uh, this sin thing that we talk about in churches is a problem for you now. Maybe you think, I'll leave it for a while until I get older and then, then I'll deal with it then. Well, if you do that, if you think that, then remember that God does forgive sin, but it's not a get-out-of-jail card to be used just before you die. To be forgiven for your sin, you need to be as desperate for your sin to be forgiven as Naaman is desperate for his leprosy to be cured in this passage. And Naaman is willing to give almost everything that he's got for that cure. That's what you need to be with God. You need to be desperate for your sin to be forgiven. And you need to go and ask him and virtually beg him to forgive you. The little slave girl, she utters a few words. In verse 3, she said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. The third thing I want you to see is that there is hope in the darkest situation. Naaman, his situation is, is dire, isn't it? He, he's dying. He is a dying man, and he knows he's a dying man. He has leprosy. His days are numbered. He knows it. And yet, there is hope, even in the darkest situation. Whatever you feel this evening, there is hope for you in the darkest situation. When everything goes wrong, when you are at the lowest point you could possibly sink to, then there is still hope with God. For Naaman, this hope is going to be found in Samaria, where the prophet lives. Why does a little girl think that the prophet can save him? Because she's in no doubt, is she? She is in no doubt that the prophet will save him. The, the prophet is a man of God. 
He, he does things other people can't do. He knows things other people uh, don't know. If, if you want to know what God says, go and see the prophet. If you've got a problem in your life, go and see the prophet. He'll be able to sort you out. You, you remember the story of Saul in the Old Testament. Saul's father had, had lost some donkeys. Uh, and Saul and his servant went off looking for them. And uh, after a few days, Saul said to his servant, he said, look, he said, uh, my father's going to be worrying more about us now than he is about the donkeys. I, I think we better just forget about the donkeys and go back home. And his servant said, hang on, he said, there's a prophet in this town. Let's go and see him. He'll be able to tell us what's happened to the donkeys. Now, if the prophet can tell you what's happened to the donkeys, yeah, he's going to be able to sort you out, isn't he? When, when you've got some serious problems. If you can trust him for donkeys, you can trust him for all sorts of other things as well, can't you? And this little girl knew that. She knew the prophet, the man of God. Here's a man you can trust. Here's a man you can go to when you need help. Here's a man you can rely on who can tell you what God says and what God needs you to do. Today, we wouldn't say, go and see the prophet who lives in Samaria, would we? Samaria is a long way away. We wouldn't want to go there and he'd speak a different language and, and we'd be in all sorts of trouble. What would we say today? Would we say, oh, go and see the minister? What if the church hasn't got a minister? Would we say, go and see the deacons? Or would we say, go and see God? Go and talk to God. He'll sort you out. What would we say? Because God is only a prayer away, isn't he? We don't need to go somewhere special to see God. God is just a prayer away. And surely we can point people in the right direction to see God and to meet with God and to pray with God. Surely there, there must be, if, if someone to come in here, somebody must be able to say, this is what God has done for me. He can do this for you as well. This is where you can find him. Look at what it says in the Bible. This is what he can do for you. He can forgive your sin. He can make you right with him. Naaman has been given a bit of hope. He was God's enemy. He had a problem, but the little girl has spoken and she's given Naaman some hope. She's pointed Naaman to the prophet who is in Israel. Uh, she's pointed him to God, basically, uh, and she's left it with him. She's done as much as she can do. Uh, and that's all I can do for you this evening or what anyone else can do for you this evening. Uh, we can point you to God and leave you to do the rest. The little girl couldn't cure Newman, Naaman of his leprosy. She couldn't do it. I can't cure you of your sin today. Uh, and I can't make you right with God. All I can do is point you in the direction and say, go and speak to God. Go and ask him for forgiveness and listen to what he has to say. Fourth thing I want you to see, the fourth thing, is that Naaman acts on what he has been told. He doesn't leave it and think to himself, that's good, when I get really desperate now, I can pop off to Samaria, and I'll be able to find somebody there who can cure me of my leprosy. He doesn't do that. He acts on it straight away. If he had sat back in his chair and thought, well, that's good now, when I get really bad, I, I can go there, and uh, hopefully I can be cured, and he would still be a leper, wouldn't he? He has to go. He has to go to Israel. He has to act. He has to go and meet this prophet. Naaman hears what the little girl has said, so he goes to the king. He goes to his master, uh, and he tells him what the king has said, sorry, what the girl has said, uh, and the king 
says, go now, this is verse 5, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. How much is that in today's money? I heard a sermon or something. He said it was somewhere between half a, half a million and three quarters of a million pounds. Yeah, That's a lot of money to take with you, isn't it? You see how desperate this man is to be cured of his leprosy. I'm assuming this is his life savings. And he's taking his life savings with him to pay for his cure. Everything that he's got is nothing compared to being cured. The king of Israel also sent a letter. Sorry, the king of Syria also sent a letter to the king of Israel. You know, there, there are some places in the Bible where, where you would love to be there, and even if you didn't understand the language, you, you'd just see the faces and, and see what they thought, wouldn't you? Yeah? Uh, and this is one of them. A little bit later on in the passage, we, we see another one where I would love to be. I would love to be in this courtroom now when the king of Israel opens this letter and reads it. Yeah? He brought the letter to the king of Israel, verse 6, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you name and my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine what the king of Israel must be going through right at this moment? Has this letter from, from an enemy of his, from an enemy that, that is at least as powerful, if not more powerful, than his own army, trying to stir up trouble. Go and see the prophet. And Naaman had acted on it, and he'd gone to see the king of Israel. Now, I don't know Syrian or Aramean. Okay, I, I don't know that language. Um, do prophet and king sound exactly the same in Aramean? I doubt it somehow. Here's Naaman. He's been told to go and see the prophet, and he goes and sees the king instead. Yeah? How like us that is, isn't it? How like us that is. You know, we, we are told that we have a problem. We are told that our problem is sin. We are told that it is terminal. We are told there is hope if we go to Jesus. And what do we do? We go somewhere else, don't we? We cover our sin. We hide it. We ignore it. We, we bury ourselves in something else that will take all our time and all of our attention. Uh, we, we'll bury ourselves in work with our families, with hobbies, with doing good things in the community, working for charity, going on holidays, going on a buy-in spree. We do all sorts of things other than concentrating on the problem and sorting it out. And dare I say, gentlemen, you tonight are worse than the ladies. Yeah? Think about when you drive before sat-nav. Yeah? Before we had sat-nav in our cars. And you'd be driving along and you'd get lost because you've read the, the, the map wrong, do you stop and ask somebody for advice? Do you? No chance whatsoever, is it? You just drive around until you find somewhere you recognize and carry on, yeah? You ignore the problem. You don't stop and sort it out. And we do that, don't we? All of us do that. The king of Israel is horrified. We read in verse 7, And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. What can he do? He isn't a doctor. He doesn't have any magic pills that he can use and give to Naaman to cure him of his leprosy. 
Uh, only God can cure leprosy. Uh, and this king knows this. This is why he says, am I God? He's spot on, isn't he? He knows he's not God. He knows he can't cure an amen. He knows he's in trouble. Yeah, he's worried. Only God can cure your sin. It won't go away. Whatever you do to try to hide it, whatever you do to try to cover it, only God can cure your sin. No one else, nothing else. God is calling this man to himself. He sent a slave girl with a simple message to send him to the prophet in Samaria. And, and Naaman is now partway there, isn't he? He's got partway. Yeah? He's just gone a little bit wrong. And he needs a little bit more help and a little bit more direction. He didn't listen too well and he's gone to see the king instead of a prophet. But you know, in lots of ways, you, you can't blame him for going to the palace. Because if you think about it, you know, you, you've got this prophet in, in Samaria, this prophet in Israel, and this prophet in Israel, he, he's amazing. You know, there's no other word for him. He is absolutely amazing. He can, he can raise the dead. Okay? This guy, Elisha, he can raise the dead. He can feed people from next to nothing. You know, you can have a, a big school of prophets, and they can all come together, and he can feed them with, with no food. How, how does he manage it? He can heal people who are sick. He can tell the king where the enemy are going to be so the king can avoid them on his way. Surely, if you've got somebody that good in your kingdom, you're going to keep them close to you, aren't you? You would, wouldn't you? I would. You know, self-preservation, purely self-preservation. If I had somebody who could tell me all those things, who could do all those things, I'd want them close at hand. But Elisha isn't in the palace. He's somewhere else. If you think about it, Jesus, he should have been held in high esteem, shouldn't he? for all the things that he could do. He could heal the sick. He could make blind people see, lame people walk. He could cure people of their sins. He could feed 5,000 people from a few loaves and a few fishes. He could raise the dead. He could do all sorts of amazing things. Shouldn't he be held in extremely high esteem? And yet he's not, is he? He's despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Jesus was despised. He was rejected. Christians are despised and rejected the world over, aren't they? Surely Christians should be held in high esteem. If they're living as Christians, they should be, shouldn't they? Wouldn't you like to have Christians living next door to you? They'd look after your property, wouldn't they? If you went away and left the door open, they'd make sure everything was, was safe until you get back. They wouldn't have loud parties until 4 o'clock in the morning, keeping you awake when you've got to get up for work the next day. Christians should be held in high esteem, shouldn't they? And yet they're not even in our country today. Uh, the Christian worldview isn't wanted, is it? The, the laws and, and the, the things that our society has been built on over, over hundreds of years uh, are being slowly eroded and taken away. Marriage is no longer between one man and one woman. Our politicians can't define a woman any longer. Or if they can, they wouldn't tell you. Or they certainly wouldn't say on television anyway. Our politicians can't tell whether somebody is a man or a woman. I saw Question Time a, a few months back when they had a problem in Scotland. Uh, and one lady on the panel just stood there and said, so can you tell me, is this person a man or a woman? And nobody would answer her. Nobody would answer. How sad isn't it, when we can't even do things like that. A liberal candidate for an MP a few weeks ago was told that he couldn't become an MP 
because of his stance on marriage. He believed marriage was between one man and one woman. Uh, and a Christian conscience wasn't allowed if he wanted to be a liberal MP. How sad. The fifth thing I want you to see is that God sends Elisha. Naaman is God's enemy. He's got a problem. Uh, a little girl has come to him and given him some hope, and he's acted on that. Uh, and God continues to call. Naaman's gone a bit wrong. So God sends a man. He sends Elisha. It says, Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he might know that there is a prophet in Israel. He says to the king, why do you get all upset? Why didn't you just send him to me in the first place? He would have been so much easier. A little bit of prodding is needed for Naaman to be pushed in the right direction. He's got able to send us to somebody. Somebody who's close to him. Somebody who's seeking him. Can God send one of us and say, go and get close to that man. Go and just give him a nudge in the right direction. Just go and say a few words to him to push him along so that he can come to me. Do you think Naaman is excited by now? I think he's excited. I think he's very excited. He, he's gone to the king. The king can't help him. It seems as if all his hopes have been dashed. And now he hears that the prophet wants to see him. The prophet has asked for him. The prophet that he came to Israel in the first place to find out about. The, the very person that this little girl had spoken about is actually looking for him and asking for him. I, I should think he's very excited. Uh, and his hopes are once more raised. And he goes to Elisha's house. And he gets to the very door of the house. And this is the next part of the story that I would love to be there to watch what happens and to watch Naaman's reaction. Because we read verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Does Elisha have a big house? Has he got such a big house that he's got servants and the servants are at the front of the house and he's way at the back of the house and it's far too far for him to come to meet Naaman at the front of the house? I don't think so. You know, when I picture Elisha's house, I'm picturing a little house on the side of a road. Yeah? A little, maybe, maybe one or two bedrooms and, and that's about it. Nothing much, really. Um, a bit of a shambles, really. That's, that's my picture in my mind when I read this story. I'm thinking of Naaman coming along the road. Naaman's not coming along that road by himself. Okay, he, he's, got, he's got chariots. Uh, he's an important man. You know, there's a lot of people with him. There's an entourage with him. He's, he's got these pack horses full of gold and silver. Now, if I'm taking gold and silver along, that much gold and silver along on pack horses, I, I want a certain amount of um, army personnel around with me, you know, to protect it and, and to protect me as well from all sorts of robbers. So Naaman's not there on his own. There's an entourage, maybe 40, maybe 50 people and Naaman is there, and Elisha can't even be bothered to come out and see him. Is that the way to treat visiting dignitaries? But he's given a message. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. The sixth thing to note, we, we get in near the end. The sixth thing to note, Naaman is given instructions on how to be cured of his leprosy, and it's not what he was expecting, and it is not to his liking. Okay, it's not what he was expecting. It's not to his liking. The Bible says, you need to repent. It's blunt, isn't it? You need to repent. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts 2.38, 
Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It isn't something people want to hear, uh, and it isn't something people want to do. Sorry is hard to say, and it's harder to mean, isn't it? Harder to mean. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Naaman goes away in a rage. He wanted Elisha to come out and to wave his hands around, you know, and put his hand on the leprosy and cure the leprosy by calling down some magic from heaven and everybody can see it. A bit like Harry Potter sort of thing, isn't it? You know, there's this magic spell that just immediately cures him and he'll be able to see the, the leprosy sort of withering away and his skin becoming normal again and fresh. Uh, and it's not that at all. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Uh, and Naaman, he hates it. He hates it. Washing in the Jordan isn't going to cure anybody of leprosy, is it? Let's be fair about this now. If you've got a serious disease tonight, don't get on a plane and go to Israel and dip yourself in the Jordan. It wouldn't do you any good at all. Okay? It won't. What is going to do him good? Trusting and obeying God. That's what's going to do him good, isn't it? It's not the washing in the Jordan. It's the trusting and obeying God. Obeying God's instructions and trusting what God says will completely cure the man of his leprosy. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that uh, they'll be saved by their good works. I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of Jehovah's Witnesses, but can you imagine it? They go to heaven and they knock on the pearly gates and Peter comes to the door and he says, I'm sorry. You needed one more door to knock on. How can you be sure that you have done enough good works? How can you ever be sure that you have done enough good works? If you are relying on good works to get to heaven, how can you ever be sure that you have done enough? Surely there is at least one more door you can knock on, one more person you can tell, one more good thing you can do. There's got to be, hasn't there? How will you know that you've done enough? The Muslims are similar. They believe they're going to get to heaven by their good works, by, by going on Hajj, uh, going to Mecca, many other faiths. You get to heaven by your good works, by doing something for yourself. God says, the Bible says, everything has been done for us. Everything. You don't have to do it yourself. Everything has been done for you. All you need to do is ask for the forgiveness of your sin and trust and obey, and everything else has been done. Don't let pride get in the way of receiving what God has already paid for. Naaman, in our passage, he, he's taken everything that he's got to pay for his leprosy to be cured. Yeah? We can't pay for our leprosy to be cured, for our sin to be cured. It, it, it's too great a price. But it has been paid for us. Christ paid it on the cross for us. Naaman is persuaded to go and wash. Uh, and here's the seventh thing, the last thing to note. He trusts and obeys and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. His flesh becomes like that of a little child. The healing is full and instant, and he is completely cured. He's not just partly cured. He is completely cured. When we ask for the forgiveness of our, of our sin, we are completely forgiven. We will sin again and again and again and again. But when God sees us, he will see us through the Lord Jesus Christ with our sin completely forgiven and with us ready to go to heaven. So Naaman was God's enemy. He had a problem. Uh, the problem was leprosy. He was given hope by a slave girl. He acted on the hope. 
Elisha called him and gave him instructions on how to be made well, and he trusted and obeyed, and he was completely cured. We were, maybe we still are, God's enemies. We have a problem called sin, but there is hope. There is hope. It's written in God's word. It's written in the Bible. We need our sin forgiven, and we need to trust God and obey what he has said, and he will forgive us completely and fully. And then we will be ready to meet with him in glory. The next part of the, the reading in the Bible, the part that we didn't read, the next verse, verse 15. Naaman, he's been cured. You can see it on his skin. And it reads, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. There is still only one God in all the world. It's a God of Bible. It's Israel's God. It's our God. God says, Isaiah 45 verse 5, I am the Lord. There is no other besides me. There is no God.